1: Welcome into the Odds Audibles podcast. I'm at Prem Eric Scopel with me as always, and on today's show, uh, we bring in National College Football writer and transfer portal expert Chris Hummer of 24/7 Sports. Uh, Chris, thanks for coming on. How you doing, man?
2: Absolutely doing good. Don't have any uh, thigh bruises to speak of, so we're doing we're doing great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that's an inside joke. Uh, we'll keep it there on that one. Uh, too 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 long to go on that into that. Um we're talking portal with you. The portal's closed with college football now. Um I guess it's still kind of open if you're a grad transfer, you could get in to mm-hmm. the portal. Um but for the most part for everybody it it's it's pretty closed. Uh it, it, and now it's it's for schools that have open scholarships it's finding players and adding them. Um but during the winter time when the when the portal was open in December, um we saw like over a thousand kids going to the portal um there was a ton of movement there was a ton of storylines to track how would you describe spring was it as frequent of entries as we were expecting was it fewer like just from a national scope of things just what was the, the the traction like this the second time around
2: there was a large there was a large volume of players but a dearth of quality players is how I would describe it. Um, just talking to coaches and people in the player personnel space across the country. They were all really hoping for more quality in the portal this time around. Um, I think NIL collectives have done a really nice job this spring, locking up their players in a way maybe we didn't see in the past. And that contributed to fewer players entering the portal. Um, there were, to be fair, there were a ton of players in the portal, well over a thousand um, in the spring window, but with schools being able to essentially cut players um, that they don't need anymore um, with the 85 scholarship cap being there without restriction because they don't have initial counters anymore. um, You just saw a ton of teams shed what they consider to be dead weight. So there just wasn't, I mean, there's always a couple, there's some really good players sprinkled in there, obviously, but like there just weren't a lot of quality pieces to go around.
0: Yeah, Chris, I kind of wanted to pick up from there, and I, I was thinking something similar. You know, obviously you're more dialed in than I am, but just looking at some of the names that were in there and some of the names Oregon was in on, it, it seemed like Oregon got to a spot where it kind of came best man available. Um, but there were in instances weren't maybe guys that had the you know type of track records you know coming in that would really be eye popping. How do you think it? went for teams in terms of roster building, filling out these last handful of scholarships. And I know some schools still have some left, but were they disappointed or, you know, what do you think teams that maybe put too many eggs in the spring portal basket are left maybe with a bit of a, you know, some roster issues, or what was your takeaway from
2: sort of what you saw um, with kind of how things were handled this spring? I think it really, I think it depends on the program. I think in a case of Oregon, like, Dan Lanning's done a really nice job managing the roster overall early. And I think more than anything, you're just plugging holes on the back of your 2D or even like your 3D key positions like offensive line to make sure you're in good position. Like And like adding quality depth, let's think of somebody like Nico Reed, probably, I don't mean any offense to Nico Reed, probably isn't going to come in and start at Oregon right away or at least would have a fight to do so. But he is a proven Pac-12 starter that can really help your roster. So like there are a lot of schools that did that. But there are definitely still some schools that went into the spring portal window with big holes to fill and weren't able to do so. I think the best example I can think of from a national perspective is South Carolina at running back. Um, They lost Marshawn Lloyd to USC during the winter window. They really needed to add a back this offseason. They missed on several of their targets and now not really a lot of avenues to fill that gap. So there are definitely some schools that are going to be smarting over some of their misses but I think for the most part, the schools that were adding key pieces this late are adding luxury pieces or depth chart pieces as opposed to like must fill this whole pieces, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: One guy that's filling everything, and this isn't an Oregon-specific question, but it's Pac-12 related, that's Colorado. Um, Deion Sanders, the new head coach there. Um, you look at their 2023 recruiting class and – I thought John Wilner of uh, the Mercury News PAC 12 hotline on social media a couple days ago, put it perfectly. Like it reads as a input error because it's like 68 new players on its commit list. Over two thirds of those guys are portal ads. Um, I'm curious as this, as a test study, what do you think of him and the possibility that, that maybe this becomes a more common or more, frequent thing where a new head coach comes in and basically turns over the entire roster or is this a very unique scenario because of that loophole where guys could you know if a new coach they they can have their, their their scholarship from a football perspective canceled well first i would say like if i'm the ncaa
2: i i would hope they would take another look at this rule because i mean it. The idea, I mean, I don't, this is a totally different subject, but the idea that a first-year football coach can cut players legally is ridiculous um, because you're essentially saying these players should be employees, but that's besides the point. Um, I think this is a very rare situation. Colorado was obviously one of the worst rosters in college football, at least in the Power Five last season. And Deion Sanders is the rare coach, especially the rare first-year coach with the cachet to come in and immediately establish a brand without putting any, I don't want to say work behind it because it's not like the staff is not working, right. but like, they haven't played a game yet. But Deion Sanders is Deion Sanders. So he is allowed to go after a caliber and quality of transfers with a different swagger than maybe other coaches would. I don't necessarily, I don't even know if this, frankly, I don't know if the strategy is going to be tenable. And I think how far, how well Colorado does this year is going to have a big impact on how teams even look at doing an overhaul of half this size moving forward. But it's not it's not a strategy, It's not necessarily a strategy that's foreign like USC cut a ton of players last year and added multiple players and was very successful right away for the portal. LSU is the same way. I can think of several situations where adding 15 to 20 players paid off. But when you talk about adding 50 plus transfers in the same season, yeah. like I, I highly doubt we see something like this again.
0: Chris, uh, we had you on in January and you kind of went through some things. I think I allowed you to be the portal czar and, and how, how would you fix the portal? Are there new issues that because you kind of just mentioned one when, when when Matt brought up the, the new coach, you know, pushing guys out legally aspect of it. Are there other things that you've kind of picked up over the last several months that you say, gosh, this is something that needs to be revis- revisited? Because I think we're in a really weird space with the portal where. There's new legislation like every year being inserted, and we're just kind of figuring out what actually works, what doesn't work. I, I figure there's going to be a decent amount of like guess and check work behind this, ultimately. But what are things for you that maybe stand out, or are there more things that have popped in the last few months?
2: I think the spring window is a little easier for coaches to deal with in general because um, it's not so closely condensed um, with uh, bowl prep at the end of the season, uh, sure. high school recruiting, all the same, and frankly, a uh, job merry-go-rounds at the same time so this window i think has been a little easier for everyone to manage um you would definitely have some schools that would prefer that the window start a little later um i'm sure maybe even oregon was in that um camp given how late their spring ball went compared to the rest of the country but i also think that's adjustable uh on a yearly basis for each school like if you choose to have your spring practice earlier or later that's within your um that's within your control based on the way the ncaa sets up the calendar so no i don't I don't necessarily think so. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see moving forward. The NCAA made a, not necessarily a rule change, but an adjustment in terms of how they're going to grant waivers for second-time transfers. Um, It had been really easy for a second-time transfer to secure a waiver. In the past, an undergraduate specifically, graduate transfers have far more options than undergraduates will. Um, And that resulted in a lot of two-time transfers in a short amount of time. Um, we're seeing less of that now than we have before in the spring window because of the NCAA saying they'll be more strict. So I'll be interested to follow that. But I think the majority of the big picture transfer issues are centered around the fall. And just frankly, um, a lot of coaches complaining about transfers being able to do the one time role. Um, I think the one thing that comes up the most this time of year, I'm sorry, I'm r- I'm rambling a little bit, <laughs> is a lot of coaches would prefer that if a transfer commits, that they could just sign right away and lock in Ah. because you have a lot of, especially this late when teams have holes to fill G five schools kind of get hit twice. You get your roster taken. um, With players getting pushed in the portal and then power five schools later when they miss on transfer targets, then go to G five classes and pick off their transfers as well to fill those holes. So I think a lot of coaches would prefer schools to be able to lock in guys right away when they sign. And frankly, as a grad transfer, I don't, I don't, or a regular transfer, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. Um, but I don't, I don't know how much players would want to give up that freedom. So that, that is one thing that comes up.
1: Have, have we seen any kind of like shift in coaching staff build up with the portal? Like I want to say about 10 years ago at Oregon, and I know this happened way earlier at places, other, you know, other places across the country. But about ten years or so, they started building out the recruiting department at Oregon. Like the the guy that was the, the director of recruiting at Oregon used to be a position coach, and that became a new job. And then that guy had a couple assistants under him, and then they've got a bunch of analysts now, and and that's the way it is now. Basically, every school. Are we seeing the portal impact the way staffs are building? you know, head coaches are building out their staffs for guys that are specifically focused on the portal? Or is this just too close in tie with high school and JUCO guys? And those guys can do the same, you know, they can, they can bounce between the two.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we're seeing a lot more general manager titles um, as the recruiting side of things grows. And I say recruiting under the umbrella of transfers and junior college as well, as you said, Matt, like This is an all-encompassing thing. And I think you're seeing, especially a lot of the bigger schools, um, start to separate those duties. Um, You have your traditional high school recruiting staff members, but you also have full-time college scouting staff members. Ohio State was one of the first schools to really hire somebody for this position. They have a full-time person whose one job is essentially college advanced scouting. They spend the entire year um, (laughs) scouting opposing rosters and, essentially coming up with a list of guys that would be takes for Ohio state if they entered the portal. And they're not the only school that does that. I can think of a dozen off the top of my head right now that have staff members assigned to that. Some schools have to do both of those things with the staff they have. These are the resources um, that money in college football creates. Um, But you definitely are seeing a larger priority put towards portal management and recruiting management as a whole, as that job becomes um, more encompassing over time, like there's a lot more work that goes into recruiting a high school athlete in 2023 than there was in uh, 2013, for example. Uh, with the graphics matter more now, social media matters more now, the amount of time you spend with them matters more. We're about to have unlimited official visits for guys, technically. So there's just there's so much more that goes into it.
0: Chris, who's who's been the big winner? Would you say since? let's say February or so in the portal, like, is there a school or maybe just in the last, maybe, maybe even let's just put it since the window closed that kind of range, like post spring, like, is there a school that you think has really elevated itself? And I guess, I'll just, I'm curious on your opinion on Oregon was pretty active in the last week or so adding a handful of guys. I'm curious on what you think Oregon has done in that period too. Is is there a school that stands out that's really, really separated itself maybe in the portal?
2: Yeah, um, I don't know how relevant it would be to the Oregon audience, but um, Louisville Louisville has been extraordinarily active. Um, I guess Louisville and Colorado are the two that stand out. Um, Colorado, because it had to, Louisville, um, because I think Jeff romm has been ultra-aggressive. Um, they've added some really quality pieces, like Storm Duck from North Carolina, Camp Kelly um, from North Carolina slash Virginia. I guess Storm Duck from um, North Carolina slash Penn State. Uh, marcus washington from georgia eric miller a multi-year starter at um, purdue offensive tackle keith brown coming over from oregon um notably and i think keith is going to be a really big part of that defense I, I really like what louisville's done in the spring window and i i frankly really like what oregon's done um i wrote about this a little bit the other day i think dan lanning people think of him as a defensive guy and he is a defensive guy obviously but i think as a roster builder he has really placed an emphasis on creating game-changing weapons around mm-hmm. his offense and the ability to score. Uh, we saw that last year with the way the offense performed. And right now, Oregon has a potential Heisman trophy candidate in Bonex. And we've seen Oregon be ultra aggressive, putting pieces around him, whether that be like Gary Bryant at wide receiver or taking multiple potential starters along the offensive line. Um, not all during the spring window, obviously, but um, they've taken right. pieces at every position on offense, including running back if you go back to last year with Oregon's top two backs being from the transfer portal. So I really like the way that Dan Lanning has approached offensive football building. Um, he didn't necessarily have all the pieces he wanted on campus right away, so he went and got them via the portal. And I think it's going to result in another top 10 offense, And which is, which is what you have to do when you have somebody like Bo Nix. You have an open window at the time, and he's trying to take advantage of that.
1: Yeah. I was going to segue into just kind of 2023 Oregon, just kind right. of, you, you talked a little bit about it right there, but just what, what's the, what's exciting for you from afar um, with this team, with the, what they've done in the off season uh, in terms of roster retainment, um, keeping guys here in Eugene that could have looked, uh, could have looked around and left uh, adding players via the traditional route, Juco high school guys. And then they've, They've added now 15 portal guys just gone through spring ball. What's just kind of your thought process of of what Oregon is in in 2023? Has it changed at all since maybe January 1?
2: I I don't know about January 1. I think Dan Lanning inherited a really good situation from Mario Cristobal in terms of the roster. Um, I'm sure – I'm sure there are like little details there that you could argue with and nitpick at, but like the base of the roster was in much better shape than what Mario Cristobal inherited from Willie Taggart, for example, or from Willie Taggart from Mark Culfridge and Dan Lanning. There are two ways that can go: you can either go up or you can go down. And I would argue Dan Lanning's continue to improve the roster, uh, which puts Oregon in the best position possible to win a Pac-12 championship. He had a top ten high school class and a top ten recruiting class. That's, I'm sorry, a top 10 high school recruiting class and a top 10 transfer class. That's very difficult to do because usually if you're taking a top 10 high school class, you don't have the numbers for a top 10 transfer class. And I think Oregon's done a really nice job reshaping its roster, um, frankly, maybe shedding some weight at places where it didn't need it um, and putting the roster in the best position to compete for a championship. I, I love what they did at receiver. I think you can't have enough good receivers in college football. Um, Gary Bryant just two years ago was a really quality starter in the Pac-12. Um, I'm very curious to see how the brothers, Bo Nix and Tess Johnson, uh, mm-hmm. hook up on Saturdays. I think that could be a lot of fun. And obviously there's a very close connection there. And then even somebody like Trayson Holden, who I know has um, had his moments at Oregon thus far, but seems to be in better standing. And he was somebody at Alabama who was a quality starter there you add him to the pieces already returning. And I think you're giving Bo Nix every opportunity to be successful. Um, I could, I could go on for a while, but that that's the group right there. Plus like the amount of offensive line depth they brought in is really smart. Cause you can never have enough um, quality offensive linemen.
0: I want to ask you, I think this might be where we stopped today, Chris, but about Oregon secondary. Um, it was a real issue last year. Oregon was one of the worst teams on the West coast, one of the worst teams nationally against the pass at, Certainly cost them against Washington, um, and, and they went out and were very active in the portal, adding four players that may end up being starters. You know, we don't know exactly how this is going to play out. There's a lot of competition, but I'm curious what you think Oregon or how you think Oregon has done to reshape this secondary, which, again, was, was a big weakness amongst the roster a year ago, a, kind of a point of shortcoming. Clearly, they wanted to address it, and they've went out and been very aggressive. What are your thoughts?
2: I think if you have a weakness, you attack it in every way possible, especially if you're a school like Oregon with the resources to do so. And Oregon did so really aggressively. Um, as you said, I believe they've added four new pieces. Evan Williams is one of my favorite safeties in the portal. Like I think he's gonna be a great fit for Oregon this year, a plug and play starter in my mind. Um, and then you bring in Nico Reed, who we mentioned earlier. And I he is a he is a proven factual starter. I shouldn't I shouldn't have maybe been as um, well He's just—he's not Christian Gonzalez. I hope Oregon fans are not expecting that. Like this, this is somebody who's played a lot of football, but nece- doesn't necessarily have the successful snaps that Christian Gonzalez did coming to Oregon. That's but a good—that's a, really good, a good way to put it, Chris. That's the yeah. right way to put it. Gonzo
1: already had like NFL scouts talking about him before he even played a down at Oregon. That's not yeah. happening with Nico Reed.
2: Yeah, Nico. But like at the end of the day, like Nico Reed is somebody who's played a lot of pass snaps, and that's invaluable. Like if he has to start, maybe maybe that's probably not the best thing for Oregon's like younger. Pieces in the secondary and uh, the growth of that room uh, moving forward, but if he's in your two deep, I, that's awesome for Oregon. Like you want those pieces there um, to give you experience as you rotate in and out of corner. Um, Kyrie Jackson is somebody I think was going to play at Alabama this year had he stayed. Like I have no doubt about that. I think Alabama's wishing they had the cornerback depth that Oregon does now uh, that it did via the portal. So bring in, bring in all this depth, bring in potential starting quality pieces can only help a unit that obviously needs to get better. And I
1: I expect it probably will get better this year. That's going to do it for us uh, on this Austin audibles podcast. Uh, Chris, thanks for coming on the show. You can go find his work on 24 seven sports. He covers college football nationally, also the transfer portal. Uh, He's the go-to guy in that space as well. Thanks a lot, Chris, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you uh, as the season gets closer. Absolutely. Thanks, Sean.
3: Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.